Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Scanner Podcast. I am your host, Eric Feigl, and I am joined today by Dr. Monique Milkoff. Monique is a she has her PhD in exercise physiology as a registered clinical exercise physiologist through the ACSM, which if you've heard me talk at all, you've definitely heard me bring up those acronyms. That's the American College of Sports Medicine. She's also a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And as uh, she's also a personal trainer and she's a former NCAA division one volleyball athlete. Um, among, you know, much, much more. So uh, when I first came across uh, Dr. Milikoff, uh, one thing that, that kind of struck me was um, more or less like if you've been injured, how to come back from injury, um, how to make the most of it. Because I think especially her being a former athlete, uh, she's probably dealt with her, her share of, of injuries. I know I've dealt with mine. If you're any kind of active person, more than likely – Unless you're like pliable and as strong as they come, you've probably dealt with some kind of injury. So that's really what I want to focus on today. And um, so let's jump right in. Dr. Milikoff, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Eric, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure for sure. So fill in some blanks for everybody. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and we can kind of go from there. Oh, you bet. Well, I think you, you read my, my bio, so you know so much about me already, Eric. But you're at, you are absolutely right. I have my PhD in exercise physiology, and I really started, uh, gosh, a long time ago, kind of interested in health as a whole. And um, as an athlete, I always pursued fitness, you know, whether it was just in practice time playing sports. I ran track and played volleyball in high school and then really decided to pursue volleyball through college. And it was something that, I, frankly, I didn't really know that there was a field of exercise physiology that you could do that, <laughs> full, like full time. Right. Uh, I had really been familiar with the whole route of you know, either personal training, uh, physical therapy, maybe orthopedic surgeon. Those routes were very clear and defined to me, but it, it really didn't strike me as a field that you could go into in you know, whether it's research or teaching or, you know, in clinical practice as an exercise physiologist until I was already in college. So that really just opened my world to this whole new experience of this is exactly what I want to do. Like I love athletics. I love science and being able to merge them just lit my fire. So that's what really got me into the field as a whole. But I did, I started as a personal trainer, heaven's sakes, years and years ago. And I just have such a heart for trainers because I feel like no matter where you are in the spectrum of, you know, starting off maybe year one, there's so much to learn. But then if you're maybe in year 25 of training, there's still so much to learn. Oh yeah, And, right. and you know, I think that's such a wonderful part of our field is there's always something to 
maybe learn or do better or to excel or to apply new research. And that applies to all of us. So there's never a time where we get to just tap out of learning. And so that's really what I, you know, I feel really passionate about helping to educate all of us together so that there's no one person talking about here are the right answers, but let's work through this body of work together and really come up with some great solutions. That's what I care about. Well, that's, and that's pretty evident too. And that's really funny <laughs> that you say that because the, the last podcast I did, um, the, per, the, the guest also said the exact same thing. Like they didn't know that this avenue was there, right? Oh, so isn't that funny? Yeah, and he was a former athlete also. And all of a sudden he sat, he sat in a, like his girlfriend's class and all of a sudden he's like, what? I can learn about exercise science? Like, what is this? Oh, I felt the same it, way. Me too. Yeah. And, same. And it's, it's funny because in, in the same sense, and I mentioned this in his podcast, if you're going into exercise science, the only real route is they don't really give you a clear, definite route to, uh, it's, it's not like a very broad spectrum. They kind of narrow it for you. Like you're going to go into some kind of clinical setting, which right? is fine for, for some people, which is fine. Absolutely. We, you know, we need those people, but there's no like, there's no, you can also be a personal trainer. You can also do research. You can yes. also do X, Y, and yeah. Z. So that's you. So you're, you're kind of like a mutant of all of it. Cause you're kind of. <laughs> Like you've done it all, so I I dabble in all of it. But I really think I even love having podcasts like this, though, Eric. To be honest, because I feel like wouldn't it be awesome if someone who is sitting in high school was able to kind of get a broader perspective right off the bat, so they weren't sitting, you know, in a college class four years down the road and then saying like, "Wait, are you kidding me? This is a thing? What?" Yeah, and I was I was lucky to get that fairly early in my college career, but not everyone does, and. It's pretty awesome that we have that opportunity. I think so too. I mean, and then it also gives credibility credibility to the field because I think a lot of most of the times people think just a general population think about personal trainers as just you know big dumb jock head, jock meatheads <laughs> that that just you know well you used to be an athlete and you know how to lift weights so you're showing people how to lift weights but there's so much more that goes into that. You're right. And, you're right. and there's just you know the the spectrum is so broad. So. Uh, what I really wanted to, to jump into um, is this aspect of, of finding resilience, as you put it, uh, to return to health and fitness after a setback. And that setback yeah. can be you know, defined by the individual, I'm sure. So dive a little bit deeper into that and how you came across that terminology. Awesome. Well, you know, I think we talk a lot about in healthcare setting, especially finding resiliency so that when we're faced with maybe something that is totally unexpected, whether it's something like really significant like a heart attack or something maybe that we can kind of foresee whether whether it's based on our athletic path of maybe those overuse injuries of the tendonitis the bursitis or Mm -hmm. maybe something also totally unexpected like a knee injury or I had a fairly significant car accident where I ran into a semi and really had a significant back injury So, you know, depending on where we really fall in our injury or illness route, that resilience to be able to kind of face our challenges, identify the things that are really important to us, and then be willing to count the cost to say, okay, here's what it's going to take for me to reach what I want and to be willing to accept the outcome no matter what. That's pretty significant. And not everyone is able to have that uh, kind of bounce back ability. And I don't know about you, but I've been, I've been fairly injured, you know, from those overuse injuries of, you know, the strains, sprains, broken bones moments to fairly significant things. And I really walk through that discouragement, that disappointment channel of 
just having difficulty waking up and facing it again and trying again and seeing no improvement and trying again and seeing no improvement and walking through that cycle over and over to just stay with the, the course without seeing significant improvements. That's a challenge. That's hard. Have you been through that? Yeah, I have. I don't, maybe not to the extent you have, um, you know, being, I, I never played college athletics, but I definitely had knee surgery, sprained many ankles, um, have had shoulder injuries. And I think you hit it on the head because the physical part, like when it first starts to happen, you're only your, th I feel like most of the time, at least for me, I was thinking, well, it's just physical. I can, I can overcome this, right? You do right. what the PT says, you do what the doctor says, no problem. That's right. That's but right. you think in your head, even though you might in the distance and everybody's telling you it's going to take time, 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 you think it might come along faster and then it becomes a mental game. So then the mental side of you, especially if you are an athlete, it, you feel defeated, you feel beat down, you feel like, you know, mm -hmm. you lost the big game, you know, especially yes. if you have teammates relying on you and things like that, you can't get back out right. on the court of the playing field. Um, and you can't just live like everyday life, right? So, totally. so then, well, it, then you yes. go, go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, I, I feel like it kind of shakes who you are. Like that identity of I'm an athlete suddenly gets rocked a little bit by if I can't be active, do I still fall in that same category? And mm -hmm. what did that really mean to me? And I was really lucky that my injuries weren't career ending in the sense that it wasn't that moment that many athletes go through of where they're fully active and competitive one day, injured the next day, and then really have to finalize their athletic career at that point. Right. That's, right. Tra that's traumatic. And I'm very thankful that wasn't my story. But, you know, I, I really did go through those really crucial moments of having to stick with therapy and surgery and, and walking through because I, I even struggled on a different side with the illness of disordered eating and having this sort of mindset of almost um, obsessive health behavior of, of going so overboard with, you know, food having to hit my, you know, health categories of, of items that qualified. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, I think a lot of people relate to those kind of illness and injury subcategories because most of us have experienced some sort of injury and a large portion of us have experienced disordered, disordered eating on some aspect, whether that's binge eating disorders or anorexia, bulimia, clinical diagnoses, or things that maybe are just very unhealthy relationships with food. And I think there's, you know, there's some very real things that we can use from the literature to pull in to say, okay, we know that lots of people experience this, you know, category of emotions and feelings. And here are some things that worked. But, but I think it's also really helpful to say, okay, what works for me? You know, that, that right. works on paper, or we could definitely use studies to help guide us to say, let's make efficient decisions. But what really works for me? So I just wanted to share with you some of the things that I, I thought were really helpful. And maybe that'll help your audience too, to maybe try some things you haven't thought of before. Well, so, let's, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead and dive into that. Cause I want to put a bookmark in, um, you, you mentioned the uh, illness and uh, eating disorder. So I want to put a bookmark yeah. on that, but yeah, but, but oh, go ahead bet. with what you were going to say. Okay, super. Well, I, I think one of the things that are so helpful, because if you are in that discouraged category, or, you know, feeling disappointed or really struggling to feel like yourself again, that, you know, that courage piece of finding the courage to try things again, or the courage to know that, you know, I can't control the outcome, 
but I can control my effort or I can try again or I can do it or mm. it, I will be okay no matter the outcome, no matter if it's exactly what I want, some version of what I want or not what I want at all, I'm going to be okay and I can find stillness in that moment. And knowing that there is no specific time frame, I know that I had such a difficulty when my surgeon would tell me, okay, you know, in six weeks, you should be back to, you know, this time point. And I wasn't even in the ballpark. Like I missed yeah. the time frame by like four months and it rocked my thinking so much because I, I was so concerned about these, you know, crucial time periods that I was missing and right. I didn't, I didn't. And I thought, okay, maybe something's wrong. Maybe the surgery didn't work. Maybe, you know, this or that. And that time frame and that schedule kind of guided my thoughts instead of my thoughts guiding the schedule. So it, it left me feeling more anxious and more concerned instead of feeling confident and relaxed and calm. So having, you know, taking away the pressure of the time frame for me made a huge difference in my recovery. And also coming to the point where you can say, okay, I can do amazing things exactly as I am right now, even if it's not exactly how it was before. That was a hard one for me to come to, but it made a big difference to me. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Now, sticking with that point, was this kind of like, because I've, I've talked to other athletes who have been injured and, you know, if it's been such a big part of your life for so long, you, uh, and this, you know, in a general, this is just the athletic side of things, but they seem to, to not only have a hard time with that, that rehab side of things or healing because they've, they've only been invested with this one part of their life for so long. Yes. You know, do you, have you ever dealt with people who maybe have put like all of their eggs in a basket and their mental psyche is just so shot that it take, you know, it's like it throws everything just spirals 360 down. And oh gosh, yes. I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, this idea of, of coaches, and I know that this is getting more popular. And I've talked to many on the podcast, this idea of helping an athlete, a young athlete in particular, who has the potential to, to go on to, um, you know, higher level athleticism that it, there's more to them than justice athletics. That's you know, right. There's finding a deeper meaning to what you are, what are your other abilities, what else can you do? So having that in your back pocket, I think, as an injured athlete or as an injured person in general yes. is, is so crucial to not only your physical uh, repairment, but your, your emotional stability. Oh, I so agree with you. I so agree with you. Well, when our identity is wrapped up in one aspect of us mm -hmm. and we fail to miss the other portions, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting when we have to reestablish trust with ourselves. You know, it's like when you, when you learn how to trust yourself and your decision-making skills or your intuition or your ability, and then we have to reestablish trust with our body. Oh, what yeah. do my, yeah. What do my limits really look like right. that you know, to say, okay, this is my new boundary right now, but that boundary might change tomorrow and it might change the next day and the next day. So you're having to constantly reestablish trust with yourself. And if we only think about ourselves as one dimensional of I am the athlete or I am the, you know, whatever aspect we have chosen, we kind of miss that trust that we get when we have that broad perspective of I'm more than just my body, but that's one very crucial part of me too. Yeah, big time. That's yeah, because you think like, oh my gosh, this thing I've relied on for so long is now starting to break down. What else can yeah. go wrong? And then <laughs> right. and, you, and you can see that directly related to like a, a a playing application too, where people come back from an injury and they just even though they're one hundred percent cleared to play, you may see an athlete 
you know, let's just stick with like a football example. All of a yes. sudden they're missing those tackles that they were like known for because they're so afraid, like mentally it's taking them out of that, out of, you know, what their ability as a player. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that's just, that's you know, heartbreaking to hear about heartbreaking to see, but I mean, unfortunately that's a reality. Totally. And being able to push that boundary safely and to yeah. know, okay, what does it really mean to be back? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a tough one because you can so easily get in that mindset of injury and debilitation and you kind of get into that acceptance of this is my, my injury instead of thinking, okay, what am I really capable of if I push? What does that really mean? Yeah. Or, or worst case, I, I love Tim Ferriss talks a lot about, um, you know, accepting the worst case scenario. And for a lot of us who are kind of in that, and I know I fit in this category myself of when we can let worry stop us from trying or stop us from maybe reaching towards new things yeah. of really examining what does the worst case look like, truly thinking it through, weighing the cost and then saying, I'm willing to accept worst case. That, that's a very freeing thought. And I think a lot of the times Super. when we're talking about our bodies that you could say, okay, worst case scenario, I stay exactly as is or get worse. Okay, what's the best case scenario? Is that worth the risk? For me, the answer, like 99% of the time, it's yes. Yeah. But sometimes I would let the worry haunt me instead of really counting the cost and saying, oh, it's actually not as bad as I thought it would really be at worst case. Okay, that's doable. Yeah, yeah, you hit it right on the head. What do you think? What do you think that looks like from just like a, uh, like a someone who's just a general exerciser, you know, day to day, healthy, average person, uh, have has people depending on them, and something something uh, catastrophic happens, like let's say a car accident or something like that, yes. and it puts them out of the game, right? I mean, yes. how I know you can relate to that. So, what does what? How does somebody overcome something like that? Oh gosh, well, I mean, I, I think we could approach that so many ways, but knowing, okay, what really is possible? Because we don't want to live in a form of denial to where we're not living in reality. And then I think it's really helpful to count the cost. Like what's, you know, what's the worst case if I, you know, if I'm working back into fitness or I'm working back into a new form of, of health, what that looks like for me, like worst case scenario, maybe, gosh, maybe I could be like really harshly judged, or maybe I could be openly made fun of, or Gosh, maybe I'll feel a lot of pain or maybe I'll realize how far I regressed and how far I am from where I want to be or maybe I'll feel the shame or I might not fit or I might not be able to do it or all of these things that can kind of put us in that worst case scenario and then you think, okay, maybe maybe the best case, I'll, maybe I'll feel like myself again or maybe I'll feel strong or feel alive or be pain-free or feel confident or happy or maybe feel like I'm back. Uh, those best case scenario things outweigh the possible worst case scenario things for me in such a real way that I'll be willing to wake up and put in the pain or work through the physical therapy or, uh, you know, keep pressing even if I'm not seeing those results or the external results that I want to see. And, and that, it's just a very helpful way for me to work through some of those challenges where it's easy to just kind of skip through it or, or I don't know, o overlook it. Yeah, make it make it. It's so it's not like a, a focal point, right? You got kind of yes. make that those kind of things need to be a focal point for sure. Yes. Yeah. So let's go back to that that topic that we booked, Mark. Um, oh yeah, the, let's the do illness it. And, and the eating disorder because I feel like that you know when you and I first kind of chatted about you know some things that we really wanted to hit on and get information yeah. about the the eating disorder part came up and and it was interesting because I feel like 
even though we have so much research based around eating disorders and so much more research is coming out, it's still one of those things that people find it very, very difficult to talk about. Yeah, and, you're uh, absolutely I, right. And I, and I think that defining what an eating disorder actually is and what like maybe, I don't know how else to put it besides like, besides like um, the way someone eats. Yes. Those are, to, to me, the, I see those are two different two different topics. Like mm-hmm. the way someone eats doesn't necessarily create the eating disorder, correct? Right. The, the right. eating disorder actually dictates how that person eats, if that makes sense. Oftentimes, oftentimes. You're right. So yeah. So, so you know, dive a little deeper into that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think there's this huge spectrum that we can, you know, potentially see on one end of the spectrum, this very mild start towards uh, maybe obsessive thinking or compulsive eating where we're starting to dance with that disordered pattern of eating where we suddenly start to see foods as good and bad or we maybe are intaking a huge quantity of food and kind of feel out of control or the relationship with food starts to change where where maybe it becomes overly restrictive or, or really problematic. And, you know, we could kind of scooch to the opposite end of the spectrum where we have full-blown eating disorders where it's completely taken over the thinking, um, the, the whole framework we have around eating. And that spectrum looks so different for so many people. And depending on, you know, what that looks like for the person, I can tell you when mine was at my absolute worst, I struggled on the bulimic side, that I would not... If someone would have asked me point blank, Monique, do you struggle with eating or eating disorders of any kind? I would have felt so convicted to say, absolutely not. I definitely just pursue health in all aspects. Like it's very important to me what goes in my body. I just want to make sure I'm making healthy choices. You know, the denial state was so strong because I really... It, it started with the, the health piece that grew into a completely over-obsession and a distorted pattern of thinking regarding food. So for, for me, I can really understand how things like aesthetic competitions, like bikini or figure competitions, really start to play into some of those uh, predispositions that we have towards eating. And oftentimes, it's a way to hide it. Because if we say, oh, I'm actually just trying to hit my macros for the day, or oh, I'm just not eating this food group because of whatever, you can really mask a lot of that behavior without the person even really recognizing, actually, this is problematic. And this isn't a really healthy way to approach food. And you know, what's, what's funny is that I, once I started, I was actually in a class, it was a nutrition class, and it was an advanced class that we were talking about some of the different thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of people who have eating disorders. And the professor had put a list up of really common thoughts. I kid you not, Eric, it, it could, I could have written them as very rational, very health-oriented, food-related thoughts. I mean, it, just, it came like right out of my brain where it was kind of that light bulb moment of, oh, holy cow. Okay, so maybe it sounds a little bit more normal than we would think. And, right. And it may be not in this, like, I don't eat foods or, or I only eat 300 calories a day or something that you could really identify quickly. Whoa, okay, there's a problem. You know, often it starts in very mild forms. And for me, I know that mine largely grew out of that feeling of wanting to be healthy, which grew into an unhealthy relationship. So it's kind of, sort of comical on this end of the spectrum. Now I think it's kind of comical. 
Well, that's, well, that's so interesting because you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. It be, eventually becomes a person's norm. And I, and I, I have to say like, you know, as, as a, a male in this industry, um, I think to a certain extent, even as, even as professionals, we have this own view of what health and fitness looks like. So it becomes very individual to what we see in ourselves. Yes. Not that we, not that we project that onto the people we work with because we have to meet the people we work with where they are. That's but, right. But our lifestyles now, at least I can say that's my norm. And so it's, for me, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to pick out and to really uh, put myself in somebody else's shoes when they're telling me they're struggling with X, Y, and Z, because I have such a difficult time because I know myself and I, and I know I, I need to try to understand that person and yes. where their norm is, because that's all they're dealing with. They're dealing with right. their situation. What is what, what is their norm? Of course, from the outside world, you know, from someone who's been studying it and people who maybe have dealt with like, you know, bulimia, uh, anorexia as we know it now. Yes. It, uh, people can point those things out like, well, of course that person has this issue and here's what you need to do X, Y, and Z. But it's right. not, it's, it's not as simple as that, right? There, there's no, right. there may be steps that people can take, but it's not, it's not like a blanket thing where everybody can do the exact same thing. Correct me right. if I'm wrong. And it, no, and it's not always easy to identify, especially, you know, if we're not asking probing questions that there's, I think there's many people who not only because of shame and guilt will hide those things, mm, yeah. but I think there's a lot of people who don't identify that it's a problem in the first place. So if you don't think you have a problem, you don't share it as a problem. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, I think one of our roles as personal trainers is that we can ask a lot of probing questions like, tell me how you feel about this, or how is that working for you? Or, or, or let's walk through our usual day, or how did you feel after that? To help, to help sort of guide some of those questions, not as a clinician in a diagnostic setting, but to really help to identify, does this person need a little more resources than I'm able to provide? Or is right. this something where, you know, I know a lot of online coaches and I, I think there's equally as many great ones as there are absolutely terrible ones sure. who maybe provide really restrictive um, caloric plans or macronutrient plans that really set up people to walk down the disordered eating pathway. Yeah. And I think we have a lot of responsibility just from our, our ethical practice and the way that we lead and guide ourselves and the way we lead and guide others to make sure that we're really being diligent mm -hmm. to help, you know, not just metabolically because we can, you know, metabolically we can work on those things, but uh, from the feelings and emotions, confidence and uh, guiding principles that we're setting people up to handle their own issues in ways and identify the areas that they need extra help with. Yeah, help. because no, you're right. Because the, as, as someone who's been like yourself, who's been doing this for so long, I'm sure you have had people come to you and said, whatever you do, I want to do. I want to eat what you eat. I want to <laughs> yes. drink what you drink. I want to <laughs> exercise how you exercise, right? Yes, and that, of and that's unfortunately, uh, that's a little flattering. You know, that can be flattering. Sure. Like, oh, sure. You know, what I'm doing is right. But that's, it's right for you. And the things that you can dabble with and things that you can do and, you know, trial and error on yourself, you wouldn't dare, or at least for me. Uh, I wouldn't dare say to this to, to somebody, you should try this because it's worked for me. You know, there are people set oh, up in, in the industry to, to help with people's individual needs. But breaking through that, just because you're going to to a fitness professional or or whatever uh, the profession is, it's individualized care and that people need to 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 make sure they're seeking. 
Um, High five to you, my friend. Don't you just want to facepalm every time someone says, like, just do what I do? Like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah, because, oh. like, because <laughs> that, that jogged my memory because when you said, like, there's all of these different ways, like, you look on, people look online for these things. It's like, well, this person has a six-pack, so this has to work. And totally. they don't understand. And so it's not like a lifestyle change. It's just like an itemized change inside of their life. And, right. uh, you know, right. how do you build and you can around tell something people, like that? Yeah, totally. You can tell people what to do all day. But if you can't explain why you're doing it and what the benefits are and what the risks are and what works yeah. for their life and their schedule and whatever, well, that's just, it's just like one piece of the puzzle. It's like buying one meal towards someone who's starving. Like it might right. help in this exact moment, but that's not going to solve the problem. Yep. You're absolutely right. So let's say, let's talk a little more about like um, maybe some of the feelings that those people uh, that, that you, that you see in those situations of, uh, you know, in the classification of eating disorders, you know, the feelings of maybe discord discouragement or hopelessness and, and how maybe someone who's working with someone mm -hmm. uh, like that, or they don't know they're working with someone like that. Are there signs that people can pick up on? Is there a way that, um, you know, we can kind of help ourselves in a way, help somebody else? Oh yeah. That's a really great question. So I think, you know, you could kind of throw the discouragement and hopelessness uh, and loss of motivation, whether that is injury related or yep. whether that's illness related too, because it really does kind of straddle both areas where, you know, if you're feeling like maybe your e eating pattern or eating plan isn't working for you and you're finding that you're having to eat less less and less calories or fewer calories just to maintain your body composition, that becomes suddenly really discouraging. So for someone who's in that disordered, eat, disordered eating thinking, it tends to become that pattern of less is always more. You know, like the, the less I can eat, the better, you know, the better oh, I'll right, be. Right, right. Or, or if I eat something that's on my bad list, like I need to get it out of my body as quick as possible. I can't have that in my body. And I know for myself, in, in that, that time frame, I would always think like, oh, that was a, you know, maybe such an unhealthy choice that the shame that would live there would say, wow. oh, because, because I'm being healthy, I have to get it out as quick as possible. And that was the justification for saying, oh, that's, that's a healthy choice. You know, that's not a harmful choice. I just, I don't want that to actually live in my digestive tract. I mean, the amount of wackiness there was just so bizarre. But, so, you know... Uh can I ask a question? Yes. I'm going to cut you oh, off. But like, no. So what was the act of actually, you know, getting rid of, of the, the items that you ate did in that, <laughs> in that moment, did you feel like that was part of your, your health? Did you oh, feel yeah. like that was just oh, part of like a ritual? Justified. Oh yeah. Very yeah. justified. In that. Absolutely. Okay. Let's say I would let just for example, let's just use the example of, okay, I ate three pieces of pizza. That yeah. would be, you know, horrifying, absolutely horrifying because God forbid I have that much trans fat in my body. God forbid I had, you know, whatever processed meat was up, blah, blah, blah. You know, who knows? You can make a whatever story you want. That, that would be the justification to say, oh, that was not a healthy choice. Therefore, my thought process at the time was, oh, you've got to get that out. So that the binge and purge part, I was way more, you know, on the purge part than the binge part. It wasn't, you know, mass quantities. It was anything that I perceived to be very unhealthy choices were the ones wow. that had to go. And, wow. you know, so I think people in that category, whether that was, you know, a large group of thinking or just my thinking at the time, you feel very vindicated as if that's, 
look at me taking control of my health, you know, very justified in, in your thoughts. And it's, it's just a very harmful way to approach food. That's so interesting. Yeah. I just, I can't, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a time, you know, like obviously <laughs> I've, I've never been in that situation. So it's hard for me to, you know, to, to put myself in those shoes, but like, I feel, I mean, you know, at the time that, that you were going through this, were people asking you, um, like giving you, like trying to get advice from you, giving you, um, like their stories about how they're trying to change their lives. And in the meantime, you're, you're dealing with all of this. Oh, you know, I would, I would never tell someone that that was a healthy choice or ever talk about it because no, no, I no. just never thought it was a problem. No, that, 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 that's not what I meant. I mean, I mean, like, we're, we're, was someone oh, coming sorry. to you? No, that's okay. Was someone coming to you during that time where you were like struggling with this? Were people coming up to you and you're like giving you compliments because, you know, you looked a certain way or, you know, like asking you, no. you know, okay. No, what was so funny, it was probably the heaviest time of my life. Where I've, I've never been really overweight, but you know how you just kind of fluctuate between low and high body compositions? Sure. I mean, it was an absolute ineffective style without question, <laughs> massively ineffective. And I was doing a lot of running at the time. And so I marathoned for a while after college. And it was kind of right in the time of when I was playing sports. And so anything that didn't really fit that category, I kind of looked the same for a long period of time. And to be honest, it had gone on for so long that I don't think anyone really noticed a start or stop time where, you know, there wasn't really anything specific. Yeah. Okay. Really yeah. Cause I just, I'm trying to think, I mean, you know, there's, there's your self perception obviously is probably yes. why majority of people do it. But I just wonder, you know, if people, you know, if people keep coming up to a person who's, who's dealing with those kind of issues and they don't know, and they think that they look great. Oh, you look so good. What are you doing? I wonder just how a person might oh, react yeah. to that. Like, oh, well, actually Absolutely. all I do is, you know, it, it just kind of, it swings the other way. Maybe they, maybe they give, you know, a false identity, but then they're like, oh, well, what I'm doing is working because all these people are giving me all these, you know, accolades and compliments. And right. just, and especially on the anorexia scale where you right, know, if we exactly. are really restricted calories, that that really does lower body weight. And oftentimes that positive affirmation and you know, the, the compliments that come with it reinforce the negative behavior instead of reinforcing the positive behavior. Right. Which is, you know, I, I feel like we see that too, even on social media sometimes, where oh, we man. can see things of, uh, yeah, I know you experience this too, where sometimes you can see people who have been very dedicated to their fitness goals in a, in a really positive way. And they make a change where they lower their body fat, you know, whether it's significant or not, but enough to notice externally. And they'll be really praised with, oh, you're so fit yep. or, oh, you're whatever, or all these compliments. Right. And it might be leading even down a more destructive road where maybe that's unsustainable or maybe it's harmful or maybe from an endocrinology side, maybe that's just not a safe place for their hormones to be or, you know, something, but all of that positive feedback really affirms those behaviors. And, you know, then they get, whether it's that, you know, the more likes or follows or something that we have that instant gratification that it just kind of snowballs to say, okay, well, whatever I was doing, I need to be doing more of that. So if I'm yep. eating 1200 calories a day, well, now I need to be eating 1000 or 900 calories to, you know, make changes faster. And that just, you know, you know, it causes a ton of problems. Oh, you're 
Oh. I mean, there's, there's some, where do I start here? So like there's, you know, there's, there's the essence of where, unfortunately, when people see, you know, the, the good looking, sexy person with their shirt off or, you know, in a swimsuit or whatever, those people get clicks and they get their message yes, out. Right. Yes, so, so, and, and I, and, and most of the time, honestly, when, when I see those kind of things um, and you click on, you know, whatever they have to say, most of the time it's very positive and like, it's, it's helping people change their lives. But what people don't understand is like, you know, a lot, of, especially in the building, the bodybuilding realm is those people are at like their physically, you know, like their weakest moment. They've, they've done so much to get where they are and it's so challenging. And a yes, lot of those, a lot of those people are already genetically gifted uh, to be that way. I mean, they're, you can't discount that, but people don't talk about that. You know, they just talk about the workouts and, and, uh, and their, their nutrition. And it's, Again, it promotes like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying people need to stop that because there's a lot of good that comes from it. But it puts that blanket out there to say that, hey, I did this. So can you. And here's how. And, yeah. and, it's, and you can't get, you know, this is, this, these are people who are wanting to get out there and make a name for themselves. And, you know, all for it. Go for it. Do it. Be safe about it. But it's, it's uh, I mean, it can swing from one to the next. And you have somebody on on social media looking who looks nothing like that and you know who might never even come close to it but they don't understand like what the aspects of their own health are let alone the person that they're looking at you know that person looking at the person on social media might not be in bad in as bad of a of a health state as they actually perceive mhm mm oh yeah and so and i and unfortunately that's just that's that's the world we live in now and it makes, you know, our jobs harder. <laughs> it does. It does. And, and it's also very ethically challenging when we're only showing the positives and not also mm. communicating the risk. Because right. I, I mean, I know that I competed in a figure and I often talk about how, you know, there's a lot of just per personal self-confidence issues when you're looking at yourself in the mirror with oh, judgmental man. eyes every day. You know, because you're looking to scrutinize and you're looking to find problems that you want to fix. And when we look at our bodies as that fix it mentality of this is broken, this is wrong, this needs to be fixed, we really stop appreciating what's happening that's positive and what's yep. working. And that cycle mentally can be really damaging. And I know how much time I gave up, how many meals I ate alone that my husband ate alone during that time. Of, of social events that I skipped out on and things where I'm not at all saying that people should not do that. I think it's just important sure. that we count the, count the cost and say, you know, maybe at different points, point, points of our life, we'll be more willing to, you know, weigh that in a certain way to say, okay, maybe that's worth it or maybe it's not right now. But I think it's very damaging when we just glamorize mm -hmm. the hot body and we glamorize the fitness and we glamorize the whatevers and the photo shoots and whatnot. And I am all for those as long as we also portray the difficulties, the challenges, the problems so that people get the whole picture and then can count the cost. Amen, Dr. Milkoff. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, you hit it on the head again. I mean, that's... That's so, that's so true. If, if people would put more about um, just the benefits of being strong and healthy and active and, you know, the, those kind of things go such a long way, I think. It's, right, and uh, they don't require a stage. I mean, if no. you want to, great, but they don't require that. <laughs> you know, what's interesting. You talked about, you know, being a, um, 
was it a just a, a, fit, a competitive fitness figure yeah did it's you figure. Fi- figure figure that's right figure. sorry figure mm-hmm. so i i have a friend who is a former um figure competitor and she went she did one show and she won and she was so elated and so uh, mortified at the same time because she saw the faces of all the other women on stage and how disappointed they were. And she oh, knew the yeah. amount of work that they done to get where they are. And then to not get it, to not win. She's like, I can't do this again. I can't, yeah. I can't be a part of somebody else's disappointment. Yeah. And oh, uh, sure. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying that again, like you said, it's not bad. It's not good. I'm not saying either one, but to be able to recognize that, like the, mm-hmm. all of the effort and then to carry that emotional baggage of what did I do wrong? Why I didn't work hard enough. Right. I didn't do this, you know, more or often that's, that's man, that's yeah, devastating. It is. It really can be. Oh man, alive. We, Dr. Milikoff, we, we covered a ton. We and, did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, I, I know we kind of jumped around everybody and I, and I apologize, but I'll link some stuff to the show notes. Um, what are some of your current projects? What are you working on right now? Oh, what am I working on? Well, I have um, one of our biggest programs is Abs Core Pelvic Floor, which is our, it's a four-week program that is improving core function and pelvic floor function in women, uh, largely those who've had diastasis recti or abdominal separation in the past or any sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. And I, I, that program I did with my good friend, Natalie Hodson, and that has been going fantastically well. We just released our Stronger Together, the 12-week trainer, just, goodness, just recently, and that is largely working at, at home or at the gym, working on kind of improving your fitness once we've already improved our core function. And then the one that I'm working on right now is Hit the Box. It's a plyometric progression program. And uh, I love it. I've been doing that one myself. And it, it's been a blast. <laughs> it's been really fun. Well, it's awesome. You guys have a lot going on. If people yeah. have questions, comments, concerns, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Oh, goodness. Well, you could email me. Um, my email is very complicated. It's my first <laughs> and last name. Very creative. It's MoniqueMiddlecoff at gmail.com. My website is MoniqueMiddlecoff.com. And I run Facebook and Instagram under Exercise and Sports Science. So that's me. You can find me there. Perfect. Awesome. So one thing I, I want to kind of put you on the spot. One thing that I, I like to ask some people is if uh, you had to pick out a favorite quote of yours to share with somebody, what would it be? My favorite quote. Oh, man. I think it's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, and I apologize if I botched this, but I think it is what lies uh, before us and what lies behind us are small matters compared to what lies within us. And I, I love the sentiment of that. It just, it always makes me feel like no matter what victories I've had in the past or what challenges I have in the future, the abilities and the skills and the God-given talents I have inside me are, are able to tackle anything. And that makes me feel really courageous. <sighs> Wow. It got real deep, real fast. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good one. That that's would, a really good one. That would be, that would be one of mine, Eric. That's excellent. Like that well, Dr. Milikoff, again, I, I appreciate you uh, spreading the knowledge and, and sharing your passion with everybody. And I encourage people to, to look you up and get a hold of you. And I'll, I'll post everything you just mentioned on the show notes. And um, I, I look forward to keeping in touch and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. You have a great day. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, 
Get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor. <laughs>